Well, good morning, everybody. I um, <laughs> I, I have uh, some things to confess today, and uh, not bad things, but uh, some things to confess. Uh, number one, I completely forgot that it was Memorial Day weekend. So um, uh, we knew going in, we took vacation this week, and uh, not knowing that <laughs> we left on uh, Monday morning. Uh, I got down, we were down in Hawaii for the last five days, and as we were down there, Never once did I pick up my Bible to to write a sermon. I didn't like. I was like, I never once picked it up. I was like, all right, it's gonna time for me to start preparing for. And I had completely, completely disregarded that we had a guest speaker this week. I, I like I like I had been scheduled for a month. I had, and uh, so when I got back last night or on Friday night. I was like, I gotta, you know, it was gonna be a Saturday night special if I didn't get to it then, and so. I didn't get to it on Friday night, and so, so, and and to be honest with you, my my prep work for Saturday didn't go well either, and so this morning, I I looked at my calendar and it said guest speaker, and I said, I said God, you are so so good, <laughs> so good, and so I I so for me I we had planned this, but it just with vacation and everything that had gone on, my mind it, it completely slipped my mind. But God had already laid the foundation for it. He had done all the prep work, made it to where that when that even though I neglected the things that I usually would do, my normal, the everyday routine, and going, hey, God still said, I'm going to provide. He, he tells us I'm going to provide with the little things, with the big things. Is I'm going to provide, and so I I just love that God. Um, uh, I love that God provided for me this week. I really do. I'm like I'm very thankful for it. Um, I want to I want to take a moment and I want to introduce um, our guest speaker today. Uh, so years ago, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but we wanted to become a cohort for SUM, which is uh, a Bible school. Uh, we went through a transition where we moved and we did a whole bunch of things, some communication errors, some things that were probably more our fault than anybody else's, and that didn't happen. But we still wanted to maintain a relationship with them. And so every once in a while, we touch out and reach and say, hey, and, and so when these guest speaking opportunities on my calendar came up, we reached directly out to them first saying, hey, we trust you, we, we, we love what you're doing, and we'd still love to have you come and be a part of what we do here at The Edge. And so we invited them um, to come speak. They'll be speaking again here July 3rd. So just to let you know, I do know that that's on my calendar as well. I just... Um, and if you guys didn't know, my plan was only to preach 40 times this year. I'm on track for 50. I'm still trying to fill in 10 other spots on my calendar to, to uh, because I, you need to hear from other people just in, rather than just me. Uh, my opinion and my my Bible knowledge is great, but other people have a lot more insight. Other people have a lot of stuff going on, and so I think it's very important that you hear from a multitude of people not just from one opinion and one voice. Um, so back to introducing them rather than me just running my mouth. Uh, so uh, Tyler's been, have you been there for six years? He's been, he's been there six years. It says he is the campus pastor, which really means he's the campus do everything. So he does it all. That means he's IT, he's everything. And uh, which means is that he, I can tell you that means that he is resourceful. That means that he can dig in and find things and find solutions to things that you never thought would happen. 
And, I, and it also means that you get a break from Ephesians for a week. But <laughs> I will tell you next week, I'm only covering two verses. So it's kind of a, that, that's, how my, that's how my prep went. I had nine pages of notes from two verses. So just want to let you know that. So you're going to be looking good for next week. Tyler, would you please come up? And uh, guys, please give him a warm welcome. I know that there's a lot of you watching online and uh, those that are vacationing. Thank you, Pastor Mike. It is a pleasure to be here this morning, and I am a firm believer that uh, vacations after vacations are a good thing, so if, if you need to do that, and, and I'm, I'm pleased to be uh, your relief of stress from last night. I, I was the one up late last night, so it's good to be here. Uh, I get the feeling that this church likes to live on the edge a little bit. I, I like that. We, are, we work with young adults, and if young adults are anything, they're edgy people, and so I like this. I think I'm in the right place. This feels like a good community here. You guys love one another, and I like a family. Is that true? Is this like a family? Well, if you'd like to invite me into your family, I'd love to watch the Super Bowl on this screen next year. Uh, this, this thing is awesome. I'll be here. What about the NBA Finals here in a couple weeks? All right, I'm coming back, Pastor Mike. I hope whether you like today or not, I'm coming back. The screen is awesome. Well, I hear we have an online audience, too. I just want to say good morning. Uh, glad you're joining. I hope you are ministered to by the presence of God in your home. Uh, but it's good to be in the house. I love to be with people. Uh, as Pastor Mike uh, took my whole introduction this morning about being a part of SUM, I do just want to say a couple of things. I am in love with training up ministers of the gospel. My wife and I have been doing that now for about 15 years together. We celebrate 15 years of marriage next month. Woo. I've got two little rugrats over there. My boys are in the corner. So if you hear screaming or there's coloring on the wall, I'm really sorry. <laughs> they might go crazy. I don't know. No, they're good boys. I'm really thankful to have them in my life. Uh, they changed everything, though. They changed everything. Kids are a wonderful thing, but they change everything. Especially, I need another job, babe. Another <laughs> Our oldest one is drinking about a gallon of milk now a week. He's got his own gallon. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, that's, some, that's my house, in short, in short. Uh, no, I love family, love, love community, love discipleship, and so SUM is all about raising up ministers of the gospel to go and preach and to be bold witness, to share their testimony, share the gospel, and uh, we've been doing that for about six and a half years with SUM, and it's been a wonderful privilege. Uh, we're about raising up local leaders and connecting with local churches, so this, this is the heart right here. That we could relieve your pastor, give him a, a weekend off and, and take some fresh air and, and get ready. And it sounds like next week's going to be pretty powerful. So I'm going to be tuning in online and hearing two verses of Ephesians. I mean, come on, that's going to be good stuff. Let's go. So I'm ready for that. But before I get into the message this morning, it is Memorial Weekend. And I just want to take this opportunity to say, if you are military in this place, if you have family who is military, I know we're close to the Air Force Base, I just want to say thank you. Uh, if you're watching online, I want to say thank you, and we remember you. We remember your family members, and we remember uh, what cost you paid for our freedom. And I know we could argue, we could, and I'm not going to get political this morning, but I just want to say I know things are challenging on this. I know we, we have a lot we feel like have pressure on it, but we are grateful for what we have, and we want to continue to fight for that, so thank you. And, and also... We need to remember why we're here this morning. Tomorrow's going to be a great day of remembrance for our 
soldiers, for those who have laid down their life. But we are here today on this powerful Sunday because of one who laid down his life. Amen. Amen. We remember the name Jesus this morning. We were singing some songs. Man, I was ready. Worship was going. I was in here for a practice this morning. I thought, man, we're doing nothing else. I don't need to preach. We don't need to preach. Let's just worship. It was good. And it's good to remember and remind ourselves that Sunday is the day of the Lord. It's the Lord's day. Everyone say, it is the Lord. Come on, it is the Lord. He is the reason why we're in this place. He's the reason why you gathered this morning. You didn't, you, maybe you didn't know that, but he's calling you this morning. He brought you here. He wants you in this place. He's the reason we're here. He's, he's the one who drew you. Maybe you know him, and that's why you came. But if you don't know him this morning, he's wanting you to know him. He's in the business of wanting to be known. He's, he's about drawing people to himself and showing them who he is. And so it's the Lord we're worshiping this morning. It's the Lord we're going to get into his word and find out more about who he is. And I'm thankful this morning that Jesus is in the business of revealing who he is. He's in the business of letting people know who he is and what he can do in your life and what he has done for your life. And I'm thankful for that. And so we're going to get into his word. And this is our theme this morning. I'm, I'm like a one thought kind of guy. So this morning, it is about Jesus. It is the Lord. Okay, that's the theme of my message this morning. Before we open up, though, we're going to be in John chapter 21. So if you want to turn there, John chapter 21, I want to pray and ask for the Lord's help as we dive into this. Okay. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to open up your word. God, I pray that you would minister to all of us in this room, to everyone listening online. God, may your word go forth and produce harvest. May it water seed. And God, may we rejoice today because you are for us and not against us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Acts 17 is probably one of my favorite passages in the Bible. I love the account that Paul records there and it says that he's not that far from each one of us, that we would feel our way towards him and find him. And so it's my hope this morning that we find the Lord, that we come near him. Amen? John chapter 20, 21, say amen if you are there. Amen. amen. This place is ready. All right, open up. We're going to go through the whole chapter pretty much, okay? But I'm going to work through it with you. I want to just kind of journey through this story. I love this chapter. We're just coming out of, we're a little bit post-Easter and resurrection and Jesus has revealed himself already a few times. Okay, the disciples have seen him. People have start to see that this is the resurrected Jesus. It's true what he said. He is the king. He is the Lord. And so he is coming again to show himself to the disciples. And so here we are at the beginning of chapter 21. And it says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Now, anytime a writer puts specific words, it's important to pay attention. And so here we have John. He's, he's wanting us to catch something. Hey, Jesus showed himself in this way. So pay attention. Look out. I'm going to give you some descriptors, some important things that you need to catch. You with me? All right. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. I love Peter. Peter's the man. I'm going fishing, he says. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. If there's anybody in the, in the Bible that I can relate to, it's Peter. If Peter can make it, we're going to be okay. <laughs> like the guy's got zeal. 
passion. He's always getting in trouble and doing things wrong. I mean, here he is. Jesus has just been resurrected, and he's like, guys, I'm a little overwhelmed. I'm out. I'm going fishing. <laughs> right? I'm with you, Peter. I'm going fishing. This is too hard. It's post-COVID world. I don't know what's going on anymore. I'm going fishing. Right? And he's just kind of settling back into what he knows. Right? Isn't that what we do? We kind of settle into our routine where we're comfortable. <sighs> he's not really giving up on the Lord, but he's just kind of like, I don't, I don't know what's next. So I'm going to go. I'm going to go do what I know how to do. And everybody goes with him. And so they're out fishing on the boat. And then verse 4. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. So then he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not, they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, Jesus is kind of like pushing the limits here a little bit and insulting these guys. All right, they are fishermen by trade. They're young adults, which means they really don't like to be told what to do. Okay, they're like between the age 19 and 25, if you didn't know. These disciples are pretty young dudes, but they're trade fishermen. So here's this guy from the beach shouting out, hey, kiddos, yo, youngsters, did you catch anything? I, w I would think they're a bit irritated. Like, who is this guy? Like, wh why is he calling out to us? Right? Wh wh what does he have to say? And so he, sh he says, cast the net on the right side of the boat. Now, I looked it up. A fisherman's boat is about six to eight feet wide. They've been fishing on this side. Jesus says, pull the net in. <laughs> Drop the net in. I would be thinking, this guy's nuts. Like, we've been out here all night. But what happens when they listen to the voice of Jesus? Oh, man, they catch more than they could have caught all night. 153 fish we see. It is important to know that when Jesus says, cast the net, it is the Lord who gives us guidance in our life when we say yes to Jesus. And when you give the Lord that privilege to give guidance to what you do, you are going to reap the rewards. It's crucial that as followers of Jesus, we receive guidance from the Lord in all of our work. Whatever your work is to do, whether you're a fisherman, whether you're an IT guy, or whether you work at the grocery store, it doesn't matter. In all that you do, the Lord now gives you guidance in your work. He is the one who is speaking to what you do and what you put your hands to. And when you do that, you reap the benefits. It's crucial that we receive guidance. If we live without Christ's presence and his direction in our life, if that's something we do, then much of what we do becomes this repeated or wasted effort of repeated failures. Without his influence, without his voice speaking to what you do, whether you are an expert or not, without Jesus' direction, it just becomes this repeated effort of wasted time. we got to have his influence in what we do. Then the disciple in verse 7 whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not that far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. And when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to him, Bring some of that fish that you have just caught, so Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so 
many. The net was not torn. Peter, again, all of his zeal dives out of the boat. I just love this. He's like, oh, it's Jesus, and he just goes in the water and thinks he can beat the boat. He ends up getting at the same time. He has to go help him pull the fish anyways. You know, thank you, Peter. You're making me feel a lot better about myself this morning. He helps him out. But here we see again, Philippians 4.19, the provision of God, right? This net full of fish. My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Then this is one of my favorite things. And I almost titled my sermon after this sentence in the Bible. It says, then Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. I, I should have titled this Breakfast with Jesus. That just sounds good. <laughs> breakfast with Jesus. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They f- have you ever been there? Like, man, who are you? But they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and he gave it to them. And so with the fish. Now, verse 14, this was the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So here we have this little cap, right? John begins with, hey, this is how Jesus reveals himself. Now he's restating this is the, fir- the third time that Jesus has revealed himself, and he sandwiches something in between. And I said, we've got to pay attention to some words here. Why would John be describing what he's describing? There's very particular choices that he has made. And I want you to write down in your notes this morning, it is the Lord who builds a fire. It is the Lord who builds a fire. In verse 10, we read that there was a charcoal fire in place. There's something very important about that fire this morning that we're going to unpack, that we're going to look at. There's significance about fire. What is significant about a fire? I believe fire is one of the most uh, things. It's nostalgic. It's Memorial Weekend. That means barbecue, right? Barbecues are starting. Campfires are coming around. It's time to go camping and all of that wonderful stuff. Every time the campfire starts, I have floods of memories, of stories, and conversations. For many of you, smoke or the smell of a fire starting up has with it some negative memories and emotions. Just a year or so ago, we had the fires that came right through here and jumped the freeway. We've had fires a couple years ago in Napa that surrounded us. And so sometimes there's trauma, there's emotion, there's heaviness with the fire. Right, It brings up, it stirs up something, and we have this flood of memories and this flood of emotions, and it kind of is either uncomfortable or it could be good. So I think the fire is very nostalgic. There's something important about this charcoal fireplace. Right, It's starting to stir something up. And so I ask the question, what does this mean for Peter? Why is, why is this important to think about with Peter? What does this mean for him? Why, what does this dramatic encounter with the risen Lord mean for Peter, well, it was only a few short weeks before, or a week or so before, that Jesus was having a conversation with the disciples, and Peter had boldly announced to everyone around and to Jesus that he would give his life for Christ. He said, I would give my life for you, Lord. I would die for you. And Jesus responds to him by informing them that, Peter, actually, you're going to deny me three times before the night is in. Mm. All this zeal, all this passion, Jesus, I love you. And then Jesus returns and he's like, actually, you're going to deny me. No. You know, that, that moment of like, wait, no, I'm not. You know, Peter just went through this really big thing. And then we see later that evening, Jesus is arrested. 
And while he stood trial before the chief priest, Peter's outside in the courtyard, kind of hidden in the shadows, watching, listening. Then we see that he gathers around a charcoal fire. Same language is used here, the same description of a charcoal fire. Peter is hovering around this fire, and three times Peter was recognized as one of Jesus' followers, and three times he denies even knowing Jesus. Nostalgic. There's a memory here. There's there's an emotion attached to this fire. Luke 22, verse 62 tells us that when Peter realized what he had done, that he wept bitterly. Wept bitterly. Have you ever found yourself in a moment where you're weeping over what just happened? You're cringing by what you just said. Oh, why did I do that? Is this, who am I? You begin to question your identity, your calling, and your purpose in life. Peter has just wrestled with everything that the Lord said he would do. I just said I would die for you, Lord, and I have actually denied you. So Peter finds himself in quite a a little bit of a spot here. And I imagine that Peter's emotions during this time are just all over the place. I mean, he's with the resurrected Savior by the Sea of Tiberias next to a charcoal fire. This is already monumental in itself. On one hand, you have this overjoyed sense of like, this is the resurrected Jesus. He is true. He is keen. That video we just watched, I mean, we could give an altar call right after that, right? This is, this is who we're talking about. But then on the other side, you have shame, embarrassment, ah, and the memory of deserting and leaving Jesus in one of his darkest hours. That's heavy. That's heavy. In a room this size, many of us, if, mo- if not most of us, can recount right now that heaviness, that moment of like, ah, oh, I've let you down. I've let you down. And so here I imagine Peter as having disqualified himself from the Lord's service. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to be here. And he's just waiting in these tense moments. What is next? What is Jesus going to do? I believe each one of us can recall a charcoal fire moment with the Lord. In a service like this, in your home listening to worship music, or in a conversation in a coffee shop with someone, you can remember a moment when Jesus begins to stir a memory up. He stirs up something, and you begin to feel the heaviness and the weight of that, and you're, you're wrestling with this breakfast with Jesus moment. You want to be there, but you don't want to be there. Can anybody relate? I have been there. Lord, I want to be with you, but Oh, I just, I don't, because I know that you're talking about something. I know that you're going to address something. And so with sweaty palms and that heart racing, you know, and you're just like breathing heavy and your thoughts are going crazy. What's he going to say? What will he think of me? Have I disqualified myself from your service? Have I disqualified myself? And then you hear the words break through either that noise or that silence moment for you. And these are the words that you hear. Come and eat. Jesus says this, come and eat with me. Let's, let's dine together. He's inviting you in closer. He's, he's wanting you to be near. And there's this sense of familiarity that I, I see Peter is recognizing. It's familiar territory. He, he knows those words. He's heard them before. But, but there's also something very different this time. There's also something 
that's kind of shaking things up. And like the disciples, you and I have been in that moment where we want to ask, who are you? Who are you today, Jesus? But we know it's him. We know it's the Lord. But there's this question mark of who are you? So when finally Jesus breaks through with this question, it's always the perfect question with Jesus. If you read any of the Gospels, you see Jesus is the best at asking questions. They are never easy. (laughs) They are usually insulting. You're like, thanks, Lord. Appreciate that one. You know, he's really good. He's right to the point. He's, He's accurate. But his questions are always purposeful. And he asks for a reason. And most of the time, he he wants to reveal some truth to us. He wants to show you something you don't know. He wants to prove to you that he is who he said he is. And so he's revealing himself again to Peter. He wants to show Peter something, that I am who I said I was, and I'm even more than that. And the writer, John, is he's like noting this whole situation like they're, they're right in the circle here, you know. Jesus is here lighting up the shadows like we just sung in that song. Jesus is literally lighting up the shadows of Peter's heart. And John is just going, oh, my goodness. Oh, man. And so in verse 15, we see when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He's talking about the other disciples. And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know You know that I love you. And so he said to him, feed my lambs. Then he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He's getting a little irritated, you know. He said to him, tend my sheep. So verse 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him this third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything, right? He's getting a little bit of, he's a little aggravated. You know everything. You know that I love you. So Jesus said, feed my sheep. This morning, we have to remember it is the Lord who restores us. It is the Lord who restores us. And in this moment, Jesus is doing a great work in Peter's life. And he is bringing him to the place of complete restoration. He wants to restore his name and his ministry and forgive him of what happened. And so later in the first epistle, Peter records this interaction in a way he says in 1 Peter 5 verse 10. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. It is the Lord who restores. It is the Lord who does this work in us that nobody else can do, that we can't do for ourselves. And Peter is realizing, wow, this is the Lord. He has called me. He has established me. He has affirmed in me. And Jesus is again making him new and whole. And he is again affirming the name that he gave him in the beginning. It is the Lord who empowers us. It's the Lord who establishes you and heals your body and your mind. It's the Lord who redeems you and your family. It is the Lord, not ourselves, not our works, not our calling. It is Jesus himself. Three times the Lord asked Peter if he loved him. Two of those times, Christ used this word agapeo. Agapeo signifies a love of commitment, a love of the mind or the will, a decision. 
This is important. Peter responds, though, with the word phileo. It's a different word for love. And he, it's more indicating a strong emotion to the Lord, a, a friendship, a warmth, a fondness, right? This kind of comforting, yeah, yeah, I love you. You know, we're good. When Peter acknowledged that he loved Christ, the Lord f- gave him the task, though, of feeding his lambs and taking care of his sheep. And it's important that when we express our love for Christ, we're also accepting the duty to do his work and to be faithful to it. When you say, Jesus, I love you, you are, you are saying yes to something. Not only are you loving the person of Christ, but you're, you're accepting the duty that he has given you, the work that you are to accomplish, and he expects you to be faithful to it. That's a big thing. So Jesus' question is important. He's getting to something. He's building on himself to prove to Peter something, to pull something from Peter. And so here we have Peter. He's had some difficulty with this in Jesus' earthly ministry, right? This is why I get along with Peter. Peter has had a rough time being obedient to what Jesus has said or just being okay with the call on his life. And so he's, Christ is getting ready to depart, and he's wanting to get a commitment. He's trying to elicit, to pull out something from Peter that he needs to know is, is rock solid. That he is ready, right? He's trying to pull this out. And so through these two words of love, Jesus points out to Peter a couple of things. He points out Peter's love must be more than a commitment of his mind, but also of his heart. I can't just willfully do this. I got I to gotta have a connection, an emotional and a, and a deep spiritual connection to who Jesus is. It must be a love that's motivated by both purpose and personal attachment to Jesus. It's not just about the calling or what I get to go do. It's about Jesus. So it's both things. He must have this complete love concept of who Jesus is and what he's doing. And so this is a big deal because Peter's final response, you know that I love you, Jesus. What Christ has done is he has drawn this commitment out of Peter. He has pulled it out of Peter and he's assured the other disciples at the same time. I mean, they're close. They're watching this whole thing. He's assured all of them that there's a, there's a bond between himself and Peter. And the Lord has restored him. And the Lord has restored him. Because how many know, sometimes we watch that person get radically saved and their life begins to transform. And we start to kind of critique and wonder and like, well, what's up with, what's up with this guy? Why is he get walking in the blessing? Why has he got favor? What about me? And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I'm the one doing this. I'm the, I'm the one. Do- this is for you, too. But I want you to know I am affirming Peter's call. He will go and accomplish what I've set him to do. In the process, he demonstrates complete forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> complete forgiveness. And the Lord restores Peter and his leadership and the continuing of the ministry of gospel. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. This is what he does in our life. But unfortunately, there are many of us who never make it past the charcoal fire. Many of us never get past this moment that stirs up the emotions, that stirs up the memories, that stirs up the hurts, the pains. We don't get past that moment. We, we, we ask too much, who are you? And we don't just recognize it is the Lord and step into it. We don't want to go there. I don't like that memory. I don't want to deal with that pain. I don't want to. And so, 
when the conviction comes up, we, we push it away and we don't embrace it and wait as Peter did around this fire for the words of Jesus. And Jesus knew that even though Peter was emo- emotionally enthusiastic, he's vibrant, he's got great energy, his commitment was not going to last if he did not with confidence pull out his love for Christ. You and I will not last outside those doors if we do not commit, if we are not 100% certain of our love for Christ. You will be swayed. You'll be moved. There's going to be somebody coming after you. There's an enemy that prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. We have got to know that we know that we know that we're in love with Jesus. You have to know that today. Before you leave this place, make sure that you have been right before God so that you can go and accomplish what you need to accomplish. Here we have Jesus. He's eliciting this confirmation, and he begins to tell of what's going to happen next. Before you can hear of what is going to happen next, we've got to be sure that it is the Lord we love. Verse 18, we'll move on here. Truly, truly, I say to you, When you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk around wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show him by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Follow me. For Peter, follow me was to be crucified in Rome was to be crucified in Rome. And it said that Peter requested to be crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to, be, to die like his Savior. Yeah, and that is really something. Are we feeling unworthy to die like our Savior and requesting to be crucified upside down? Or are we unworthy and refusing to come before Jesus who's inviting us to breakfast? That's a big different testimony. What will your testimony be? Will it be, I'm unworthy to die like my Savior, but here's my life? Or is it, I'm unworthy to come before you? And he says, come. We've got to go through the fire. We've got to come to the moment. Though we may not bear a physical cross like Peter, Jesus does say in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and what? Follow me. There is a cross to bear. Each one of us in this room has a cross to bear. So we must pick it up. And Christ would elicit and require of us the same thing he asked Peter. From every follower of Jesus, he will ask the question, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love the idea of me or do you love me? That's a big difference. Do you love the concept? Do you love the conversation about love? Do you love those ideas? And want to be accepted? Or do you love me? We have to love Jesus. The main issue is not are you willing to go and do anything for God? Or do you love other people? The primary question that Jesus wants his followers to answer is do you truly love me? Do you truly love me? This is important. And we must answer it is the Lord whom we love. It is the Lord whom I love. I'm in love with Jesus, not this microphone. I'm in love with Jesus, not a paycheck. I love Jesus. I love him. A deep, heartfelt love for God is the only effective motivation for serving him. It's the only way. 
It's the only way we're going to survive out those doors. You all lived through COVID. It's wild. What is going on? We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We're not guaranteed. We have to know. we got to know. And I just want to say, this post-COVID world, you should love on your pastor. Any pastor that is still doing what he's doing, man, what a champion. Pastor Mike, I appreciate you. We love this community. It's wonderful. And I think it's because he loves Jesus. It has to be. It has to be. Most days, I'm with you, brother. I've been there. 2 Corinthians 4.14 says, for Christ's love compels us. And that's what I see. Christ's love compels us. Jeremiah says, it's like a fire shut up in my bones, man. I, I can't contain it. It's coming out. I got to. I have to go. Christ's love is compelling me to go. It's hard to imagine a more important question that Jesus could have asked Peter. <laughs> There's not a, not a more difficult, but not a, a better question that he could have faced. Whether he truly possessed a devoted love for his Lord. His question also was public. Remember, the disciples were in close proximity. Jesus is not shying away from things. You need to make that public profession of faith. That no, it's, it's about the Lord. I'm devoted to him. And though Jesus repeated this question to Peter several times, even hurt his feelings. I mean, I, I imagine Peter's just getting upset, you know. We feel like he's intruding on something. Really, it's a demonstration of his compassion and his love for Peter. It's a demonstration of his love and his compassion. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in this, that while we were still sinners, he died for us. Peter, I, I died for you. Do you love me? Right, he's, he's going where it matters the most. Before his death, Jesus never beat around the bush. We talked about this with his questions. He never held back. He went for it, right? He said, you whitewashed walled brood of vipers. I mean, he was like, he was, all, he was, he was the man. They talk about living on the edge, turning tables and fashioning whips and stuff. I mean, Jesus was like the man. But I don't imagine that after his death and resurrection and being restored to king of kings and lord of lords that he's going to pull any punches, He's not going to be any gentler. He's going to get right to it. We're going to come, and we're going to try and have all this fluffy stuff that we want to talk about with Jesus. He's going to be like, <laughs> I want to talk about that. <laughs> right? We've all been there like, not that. Like, turn the page, you know? So here he is. I want to deal with what needs to be dealt with most. I want to deal with that. Because that is going to save you. If we can deal with that, that's going to save you. That's going to restore you. That thing's going to heal you. That thing is your provision. That thing is your future. This is what you need the most. So let's go back and look at verse 17 again. He said to him the third time, Son of John, do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you, Jesus. He said to him, feed my sheep. When I was studying this passage, I found it really interesting that Jesus over and over uses a specific name for Peter. He says, Simon, son of John. Simon, son of John. Simon, son of John. Well, in the beginning, in John 1, verse 42, we see that when he calls him the first time from the fishing boat, he says, hey, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. 
we see this interaction where Jesus says, hey, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, changes his name. That's Aramaic for the rock. That's where we get Peter. So he calls him, hey, you are Peter. On you, I'll build my church. But Jesus doesn't go there. Jesus doesn't throw in his face the expectation he has for Peter. No, he goes back to the core of who Peter is. And he says, Simon, son of John. Why does he say that? Why does he say that? Because he wants you to know he doesn't love his plan for you more than he loves you. He doesn't love the title you've been given. He doesn't love the ministry that you will do or anything else. He loves you. He wants you to know that he's about who you are. He comes to where you're at. Now, he's so good, and he loves us so much. He doesn't leave us where we're at. He doesn't want you to stay there. He wants you to grow and come over here. I got, I got better things, but he's, he's so loving. He's so kind. He comes right to where we are. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Okay, I can work with this. Let's grow. Let's keep going. Come on. He doesn't love what you'll do more than he loves you. At your very core, he loves you. Now, when he says this, it says Peter was grieved. I'm, I'm going to get ready to close with this. Peter was grieved. We've been there. Some of you might be grieving right now, hearing these words, feeling grief. And remember, we read that he wept bitterly when he, knew, when he realized what he did when he denied Jesus. He wept bitterly. So this is a really tender thing. Peter's a wreck. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10 says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So I would ask the question, where is your grief coming from? Is it because God is dealing and you're sitting with him and you're grieving because it's and it's leading you to repentance? Or is it a worldly grief that is wrecking and destroying and eating you? Because worldly grief will lead to death the Bible says. But godly grief leads to repentance. And repentance should be a normal thing in the life of a believer. If you are following Jesus, repentance, is, it should be one of your favorite things that God allows for you to come. In Romans, I love the chapter in Romans, Romans 2, 4, I think it is. It says, the goodness of God leads us to repentance. His kindness leads us to repentance. This is important to catch. That Christian sorrow would lead us to repentance. Repentance leads us to forgiveness. And then forgiveness leads us to true joy in knowing that we've been reconciled with our Savior. And here Jesus has reconciled Peter and he has shown him yet again who he is. I am this. This is what I have for you, what I can do for you. And God's calling for his disciples and for you and I as his followers is to know him and to love him. And he is doing this for Peter. Out of that love relationship is coming the motivation. It comes from deep within the power to fulfill our God-given purposes. You have a purpose in your life. You have a destiny. God wants to do something in you and through you and to the world around you. And he is going to do it this way. No matter what you have to endure out there, you will be able to withstand it if you will go through this fire moment. If you will allow Jesus to speak to what he needs to speak to, if you allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life, you will be able to endure till the end because his word does not fail. 
He does not fail. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he is at work, and he wants to show you who he is. It's then you can answer this question. When the world says, what is the reason for the hope inside of you? Peter says, you must have an answer. So when the world says, what's going on in your life? What's with this favor, this joy, this love? You're not the same person. What's going on in your life? You can answer, it is the Lord. It is the Lord in my life. It's the Lord who's done a work in me. It is the Lord who loved me and restored me, and he saved me. And you can answer and respond to that question. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. But we have to go through this fire moment, this thing where Jesus brings it up, and you got to talk about it. you got to let him put his finger on it, and you got to decide. I love you. I love you, and he will do a work in you. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you, and I'm going to give this mic over to Pastor Mike, and uh, it's been a privilege. <laughs> I'm going to give the mic to Mike. Father, I thank you for your word. God, I ask for your help and your courage, God, to sit with you at breakfast. God, that we would, we would not shy away from the moments when you want to deal with where we grieve most and turn that grief into repentance and lead us to your forgiveness and freedom. Your word says that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And God, we are in need of liberty. We are held captive by our thoughts, by our fears. We're held captive by those around us and society's things and all the things the world has and puts on us. And we need you, Lord. So I pray that this congregation, that these people, your followers, those watching and hearing these words, God, would be willing to sit through that moment, to go through a repentance moment with you and find the power and the goodness that is in you to restore us and set us on the path that you have for us. So I pray you would continue to work and, and work through them and bless them. And we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.